Welcome, alien overlords, to your Secret Invasion podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is the reptiloid who has assumed the visage of Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Here today to talk the Secret Invasion series season wrap. Pete, before we do that looking across all the other stories there in the the story multiverse tomorrow on star trek sunday we will be talking uh, about the strange new world's first ever musical episodes uh one in which i dare say pete the response has been overwhelmingly positive yes really interested to talk to see how that's going to affect our podcast um and this lengthy history of of star trek to finally have a musical offering uh indeed pete and looking a little bit ahead into the future three weeks from today we will be talking hopefully hopefully uh the ahsoka two episode premiere over there on the ahsoka podcast feed also as always simulcast and pop culture podcast feed pete only yesterday, Disney Marketing, Disney PR, was continuing to hang on to this release date of August 23rd. Where are you at? Do you think they're going to meet that date? I don't trust the alliance of motion picture and television producers. So until this is screened by critics, until uh, it's been seen, um, I will not believe with all my heart that those dates are going to be stuck to. I continue to refer to August of 2022 when the two episode and or uh, event was scheduled uh, September. The Emmys have been postponed. They will not happen in September. That is to say they won't not happen. However, uh, they've been pushed. I could foresee the same happening with Ahsoka um we're gonna have to see should be very soon that the screeners should be out then we'll know they're gonna stick to that date bringing things back to marvel pete uh just this past week we were talking the loki season two trailer uh something that i think increasingly is the great hope for marvel what with a muted uh reaction reception to uh, secret invasion hey look over here here's the triumphant return of the first season the first series to get a second season order from marvel well and and all sorts of potential there familiar characters returning we talk about it all in that podcast pete speaking of familiar characters Fantastic Four casting rumors continue to swirl. This was a busy week in that kind of like the Fantastic Four blogosphere kind of thing. I was, I, there were people on Twitter apologizing or saying that's the last time I follow this account or that YouTube or whatever for claims. And there were claims of people who had said no. Like, but give me some more here because this was a busy week for a week that didn't actually produce anything sub- substantial. Well, uh, Jack Wade produced some uh, contributions to the Screen Actors Guild Fund by responding that he will not be playing Mr. Fantastic. But here, now that I got you, go here and donate. Yeah, it, 
can we also add some context, especially since there are, you know, there are those people out there. We saw it with Secret Invasion, you know, saying subscribe to my thing, get my extra bonuses on Patreon or whatever it might be. I'll tell you the the truth. Oh, look, the truth never came to pass. <laughs> um, actors cannot. Uh, am, I, am I correct in saying this, Pete? Actors who, of course, are striking. Uh, actors cannot be cast right now in projects that are produced by you know the the studios uh, you know that are being striked upon like like you can't do a marvel casting right now regardless of what the rumors say you can't sign that you you can't sign that contract right i don't definitively know the screen actors guild rules when it comes to being struck uh all i know is that everywhere you look oh Vanessa Kirby is going to be Sue Storm. Uh, Joseph Quinn is going to be Mr. Fantastic. Now that Jack Quaid, who was going to be Mr. Fantastic, has come out and said he's not going to be Mr. Fantastic. Um, Matt, we have no idea when there will be an environment in which this film can be lensed. And yeah, I guess people are just desperate for people to sign up for their YouTube page and pay for extras. Well, Pete, let's bring it now to secret invasion. Uh, we have the whole six episode offering to reflect back on. And, um, Pete, I think overall, uh, socks have not been knocked off with this outing. I think when you look at the legacy of secret invasion, the fake outs of death overtook the premise of who is a scrawl and who is not a scrawl that we're going to look back at this show as the thing that got rid of Maria Hill, which is in the Marvels, got rid of Talos, um, killed Soren off screen, never did a, flashback past hey it is it is soren here and i will now transform into a human woman um yeah i i don't think we're anywhere near as down on it as as there are people and we'll talk about the context of that in a moment but matt i i don't see anybody high on this and i think starting with maria hill which of course you know, in the first episode, obviously she didn't die in the beginning, but that was the big, the big hook in that first episode. Um, so let's start with Maria Hill. Uh, again, a character who is not necessarily beloved like Spider-Man or an icon like Black Panther or things of that sort, but someone who has been there since almost the beginning as a supporting character, somebody who... um you know, a comforting presence on screen just in terms of like, hey, that's that character who's who's been there periodically and been the 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 good number two for Nick Fury and, and all of that. Um and and one bit of criticism I ha- had read regarding the finale was and indeed I think it was it, this is a fair reflection for all the episodes, where's that Nick Fury, you know, funeral graveside goodbye to his loyal Number two, Maria Hill. We don't see it because the story moves on with other stuff. Um, 
And it doesn't feel authentic that Nick Fury doesn't take that time. It also doesn't feel authentic that we don't give him that, get given that time. Again, this is not the Tony Stark funeral type moment. But again, it's a character who's been around a long, long time. And I think on a certain level, we as an audience, you watch it and you go, well, I'm not, uh, I'm not Nick Fury. I'm not Iron Man. I'm not Black Widow. I would be a supporting person too. Maria Hill is us. And th- they didn't say goodbye to her. Maria Hill of Avengers and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, Secret Invasion was filled with odd choices. And I think of no stranger choices than in the second episode coming off what was perceived and we're still trying to wrap our brains around as the death of this long-standing character to then have the conversation between Nick Fury and Talos, not about her at all, uh, not even referenced, and then to have what essentially amounts to the the graveside scene of, here's your daughter's body, and I know you can't tell me all the details of how she died, but just tell me it was it was worth it, and never get touched. Again, except surveillance footage of special guest star Kobe Smulders in like three more episodes. I think your word choice is so great that it's it's odd choices here. Um, I don't know. I, I, here's another odd choice. It's something we talked about last week, but it, it, it comes to mind. We have, I let me, let's go back even further. Ever since Disney Plus started to be a thing, uh, thinking back to those early Mandalorian episodes, how long an episode should be, there's been flexibility there. And probably in the streaming era, that's the way it should be. Uh, If you have an episode where, of anything, that some stuff doesn't work out along the way, all right, if you don't need to fit the broadcast TV model of 42 and a half minutes of content, and you can axe the two-minute scene that just didn't work for whatever reason. Awesome. Make it a little bit shorter. Uh, similarly, if you have great stuff um, and you don't need to cut it down to your 42 and a half minutes, all right, let it be a 48-minute or you know whatever it is. You have a really great long take, all those things. There's that flexibility there. That said, I feel like, I don't know. Why is Mandalorian able to get away with it sometimes and other stuff not i I don't know maybe that's because what comes to mind you know the mandalorian episode is it the second one the third one overall that has basically no dialogue you know where they go for the the suka suka egg um when you give me three the first three episodes of this show and it's in the neighborhood of 45 minutes long 50 minutes long somewhere in there okay that sets the expectation uh even if i'm gonna turn that blind eye and i'm gonna pretend that the runtime's don't actually include previously on and the credit sequence and the end credits and so forth. Um, but to then have the second half of this show ascent, you know, be 35, 38 minuters. And again, when you do carve out uh, credits and all of that, you know, to, to say essentially the last three episodes are 32 minutes long, a piece of new content, that's a bit of a letdown. And, and that's a choice too. Um, particularly it was one thing for WandaVision where you say, oh, these, these, this is all kind of weird. All right. Well, I'll give you a gimme in terms of it's a really weird 
set up, you know, at the beginning of the show, at the beginning of WandaVision, i.e. the sitcom format. Uh, also, you then want to say, I'm going to give you a heaping, uh, a heaping pile of your shot was interrupted mid-COVID. So whatever you got to do, we're all in this together. This Secret Invasion show does not have those considerations in my view. It was filmed entirely after COVID. So what gives that there's this kind of imbalance in content? And it doesn't feel as if any of the deaths were made to matter. Um, They weren't juicy. It's not like Fury had some moments there with Maria Hill. Remember me as a peacemaker or Talos or even with what happened to Soren off screen. It's just these characters are now dead and things happen. And, you know, I can't help, and we discussed this briefly last week as well, so apologies if there's some repetition here, but looking at the whole thing as a whole here, I can't help but see this season of television through the lens of the Bob Iger quote, which I think was capturing how we're feeling with some Marvel Studios content lately, this idea of too much, spread too thin, what you're talking about, Pete, these characters that mean things to people, whether it's Maria Hill around for 10 plus years, whether it's Talos, who in many ways, I wouldn't quite say steals the show in Captain Marvel, but it, it was quite a good turn. We're, we're, we're X number of years deep into the Marvel formula when Captain Marvel, the film comes along and, you know, we all know that because when you need to introduce a new person and new supporting people and also need to set up for an Avengers movie, you don't have as much time for a villain. So what do they do? Talos, the big bad, is a dad and husband trying to help his family and help his friends get to a new home. They're refugees. They are the downtrodden. It's Lady Liberty saying, send me your, your, your poor huddled masses yearning to be free. It's Talos. And you go, oh, wow, what a, what a turn here. So again, we haven't had Talos as long as Maria Hill, but to take this guy who at the end of the day, he's a dad, he's a husband, he's a guy who's just trying to do the right thing for his people, and he gets killed off here, and it's as though the show was made by people who don't appreciate Maria Hill, don't appreciate Talos as a character. Soren, okay, I would have liked, I, I think you could have gotten good juice for the other characters, like Soren's husband, like Soren's child with a bit more reflection on Soren's death here. Don't want to go for it. Uh, okay. I think that that's a little less egregious, but again, it's an odd choice. I know we're going to talk about the director of this program shortly, uh, but I would not lay all that on the director. I mean, there's producers and producers and producers here who are, are there on behalf of Marvel and, and, and the Marvel formula is well known. Directors come in to give like directory ideas, but it's the producers with the editors that 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 you know make these shows and movies what they are yes so let's talk matt about the thing that other people have talked a lot about and what digs into the real premise of the show the scroll replacements let's start with scrody and uh when was he replaced because he was helped out of the nuclear reactor and not because he was exposed to radiation. I feel like baked into the premise 
there's been a body snatcher, right? The next, the, your first question might be, w will the original person be okay? And then your next question is, when was the body snatched? And I don't think that that second question is an irrelevant question to ask. You add to it the fact that the character of Rhodey has been there since day one. Okay, fine, the recasting and so forth. But the character of Rhodey, you know, older than literally every other MCU character other than, what, Tony Stark and Pepper Potts mm -hmm. and Coulson? And uh, Rhodey probably appeared on screen before Coulson. I don't remember from Iron Man off the top of my head. But that that's the list is three people, three three characters. Um it's not unreasonable for us to say, so tell us when this swap occurred because I care about this character um, who's been there since the beginning. Um, and again, an odd choice. They don't go there with it, even down to, you know, I know the director was asked, you know, did, did you and Don Cheadle talk about this? Uh, we, we didn't need to talk about that. Uh, okay, well, you know, who, who speaks... <laughs> Who speaks for the people that are watching this to say, but it's it, it's important to know what happens to this beloved character. I didn't need, we didn't need to talk about it, yet I'm prepared for death threats about when he may have been replaced. Potentially, Matt, it was Scrody at Tony Stark's bedside when he died. I mean... Unless you, unless there's a story reason why that needs to be the case, then the answer should be no. Um, and even if, in the context of these, in, you know, the interviews in regarding to this, in regards to the show, you, these interviews are not non-canonical, right? They're not making canonical decisions about the show, about the MCU in general. But I think people want to know that it was. The real roadie, who again, there since the beginning, there since Tony Stark said, I am Iron Man, it's fitting for him to be there, not, oh, well, we're actually getting juice for this show, which let's not forget, Pete, the show is now over, Scrody is now done with, like, however long the secret, the secret green tale and secret green story tale is leading into this, real roadie is now back. Does it benefit these six episodes to to say, well, Rhodey wasn't there at Tony's uh, bedside? It does not. Um, now, if you want to say, oh, well, it's going to benefit the Armor Wars movie, which I'm still dubious. Is it going to be a movie movie? Is it going to be a Disney Plus movie? Is it going to get made at all post-Strike? Not that Secret Invasion was made with Strike knowledge. There's so many X factors here. It's like this self self-imposed foul to say, well... Rhodey wasn't there at the funeral. And then when you look at Ross, um, and obviously his inclusion in the series super, super early and super, super late, which doesn't at all smack of reshoots or anything like that, um, a lot of people have pointed to the fact he's wearing the same clothes as he was in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, so much, much more recent. Um. Which I think that's almost weirdly the, the, the flip, you know, the other side of the coin uh, when it comes to Rhodey in that we all like Ross too. And like Maria Hill, Ross, he's a jobber. He's working day by day. He's doing what he has to do. He's one of us. He doesn't have a super suit. He doesn't, he's just there 
doing the best he can do with his brain, with the tools in front of him, trying to make the right choices, trying to help people. Um, and I think that we can all kind of inherently, there's a certain sense of solace to say, okay, yeah, I saw Ross, you know, in November in Wakanda forever. Good guy trying to do the right thing, trying to do right by the, the by the people of Wakanda who, who helped him, trying to do right by his job for the CIA, ex-wife is now a factor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, oh, he's only been snatched in the last six, eight months. Okay, I feel I feel good about that versus the need for a question mark here for Rhodey. So, Pete, we have two great characters, I, I would argue very vociferously, coming out of this show in Gaia, in Sonya. Um, one really, I was going to say one gets the sense. The show is saying at the very end, Gaia and Sonya now will team up. Mm -hmm. My worry, though, is we've had other, you know, this character will continue kind of suggestions and that hasn't, you know, not much of not much has come of that. So let's start with Gaia. Your thoughts on possibly now the most superpowered being in the entire galaxy. Well, there are people who have argued that she's overpowered and all that. I mean, the, the character is what the character is. And at the end of the day, Kevin Feige makes these decisions and there are people that follow it. At least that's what Mr. Salim is, you know, saying right now. Um, I mean, yeah, Matt, is is there a quote that might contextualize all that? Well, indeed, here is a quote from uh, from a Hollywood Reporter article um, uh, where Secret Invasion director Ali Salim says, uh, quote, uh, I don't feel bad about mixed reviews. Marvel has a very devoted, even rabid fan base who have expectations. And when their expectations aren't fulfilled, they move in another direction. They give it a thumbs down. So it's a tricky thing. I would have, uh, I would love it if everybody loved it. But I also don't have that expectation myself. So I feel great about the response to it. The article then says, he asked, quote, is it our job to fulfill their expectations, close quote? And the Hollywood Reporter says, parenthetically, well, yeah, that's probably literally the job. So, Pete, I look at, I, I, I am incensed by that quote because, look, we had we had our fun with the Quake Watch segment. We were out in front months ago saying, I don't think Chloe Bennett's Quake shows up in this show. There's no kind of production evidence and so forth. And the fact that, some people are really hitching their wagons to that. That's not necessarily where this show is headed. And if Ali Salim is talking about those kind of expectations, okay, those are unreasonable expectations. Mm-hmm. I, I would have loved, it would have been really cool though, if we did get Quake and Melinda May and Colson at the end, but, but I digress. For Ali Salim basically to be saying, obviously not literally directly to us, but for him to be saying, hey, Matt and Pete, if you are not giving this a thumbs up, if you are not loving it, it's because you didn't have your expectations fulfilled. So you have gone in another direction and you have decided to give it a thumbs down. It's your fault, the audience. And I look at that and I say, I don't want this guy touching my pop culture stuff because what's different between any of these pop culture properties and random piece of you know hey somebody just wrote somebody's doing a uh you, you know wrote a 18th century uh british vicar movie 
okay, the difference is we already have a relationship with, with these pop culture characters. There is a relationship between the property and the audience. And for him to say, audience, if you reject what I did, it's your fault. I, I am I am insulted by that quote. My expectations, our expectations that this series would have been more cogent, I don't think that's unrealistic. And yeah, the, the use of the word rabbit there and all it implies i'm sorry it that's that's foot in mouth stuff and and just better off left untouched um the the template matt with a gaia with a sonia moving forward is the same of a monica rambo of a valentina introduced first on the small screen eventually to be seen on the large screen yes i know the valentina stuff was filmed first for uh the black widow film but obviously the way that uh COVID unfolded and you know the delay of the film and everything appeared first in uh falcon and the winter soldier um but it's there and we'll see them again and they're largely in the same sphere as far as character interactions are concerned i'd even go so far as to say maybe sonia not even maybe sonia is my favorite character from this show and i think it's because in this comic book interstellar super-powered multi-powered kind of extravaganza you know she's a lady who knows where the knows that the butcher shop is actually where somebody's being questioned how does she know that the story doesn't tell us x to y to z pete it's because she's this great kind of you know spy brain whatever why is she able to walk into a space and completely own the situation and know you know come on there's a way out either like she she's a she's a very intelligent person her superpower is her brain and it's not even superpower because of the ooze or the rays you know she's just this this incredibly intelligent and capable person um, I guess I could be completely confident that we're going to see more of that side to her in the future and not just look, they got Oscar and Emmy winner, Olivia Coleman to do lines for Avengers five, like watch out. The shield is falling or, Oh no, we need to get the blue cubes over into the red bin. Go Avengers. Go. Like they're going to give her good stuff again. Right, Pete. To get her and Julia Louis Dreyfus together on screen like that's what we're living for similarly with amelia clark who's done star wars who's done game of thrones to have her now with all the skills that she possesses the ability to be anybody um both in terms of her outward appearance and then the powers and how that'll be deployed that's really fascinating. You just wish you had a little bit more of, okay, she returns in Secret Wars or what have you. But wait, Pete, is there even a storytelling device where they could say such a thing? <laughs> oh, wait, it's the Marvel tradition of character will return in place or even character will return, which, again, maybe the Ali Salims of the world want to say, oh, well, you shouldn't have that expectation or, or it's a Marvel convention, but you don't the need to do expectation they've set. <laughs> well, that's just it <laughs> further. Like, he, but Pete, here's a new expectation. 
Moon Knight will, I don't know, come back or not, right? Um, etc. etc. <laughs> but but again, just the point being, like we've already had some shows where where fine, like you know, we know there's an Echo series coming. We know that Kingpin and Matt Murdock are going to be in it. And that that's just kind of out there, regardless of whether it's said it in a in a you know in a post credit on screen thing or not. But not everybody does come back all the time. So that kind of guidance would be good to say Gaia will return or, you know, or Sonya falls or whatever it might be. Um, it wouldn't hurt seeing as how we don't always know where things are headed. And this story universe is one that from day one has been about that larger universe. I mean, let's not forget. Yes. You see, you see uh, the first Iron Man movie and you say, okay, well, that's kind of in a, in a little bit of a bubble. No, it's not. You should be sitting in that theater and knowing that six to eight weeks later, there's a Hulk movie that takes place in the same story universe in part because they've taken the post credit scene with Tony Stark and moved it up into the body of the film. It's in all the trailers and et cetera, et cetera. So it's like this show was made somewhat outside the MCU or the producers or whatever it might be, but Pete, should we get to some thoughts from some other people? Absolutely. First tweet here comes from, I'll always call it Twitter. That's K, uh, at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. We're going to just keep calling it Twitter, Pete. While I wouldn't call it the best of Marvel TV shows, I'm definitely not as down on it as I've seen a lot of others seem to be. I liked the overall story and the new characters of Sonya and Gaia and hope to see them again. By the way, did anyone destroy the Super Scroll machine? Huh. Was it destroyed, Pete? Uh, I think the collateral damage from the big Gaia Gravic fight has us suppose that it was. I mean, again, oh, Matt, hey, look, a scientist came and fixed a thing or took it further. Uh, maybe Ali Salim could say to could say to uh kclyle one on twitter could say why do you have the the expectation of the thing that caused all the trouble for six episodes why is your expectation that we should know whether it's either thumbs up or thumbs down uh i i kid of course it's a it's a perfectly fine uh expectation we hear from uh, spider ham lincoln at tess lc 139 secret invasion was in my opinion the worst of the disney plus marvel series so far it probably could have been done uh, as a one-shot movie between 120 and 180 minutes that could have told the same story pete quick tangent here and i don't as you know behind the scenes i'm having some mild computer issues and looking to get a new computer in the fall blah 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 i don't really 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 know how to do much beyond rudimentary editing it would be interesting either for myself or just hey internet out there if somebody took all secret invasion and cut it down to what spider-ham lincoln is saying you know approximately two hour and 15 minute movie like what would that be like it would probably cook in terms of its pace but anyhow back to his words here uh still i was largely unimpressed hoping echo is a better show and the marvels is a better more fun story uh pete i've said it before i'll say it again i want echo to be a great show too talk of major reshoots it being released nay dumped all at once um suggests to me this is a lot different than 
did you hear there's a baby Yoda? How can there be a baby Yoda? Can, will we learn more about baby Yoda next week? I hope so. John Favreau is going to talk about the baby Yoda on Good Morning America. I better watch that. Oh, man, that's not his name. What's his name? Da, 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 da. Echo was the opposite end of that. And I worry it's because people have seen it know why. It's not their fault. The strike is happening right now. But I think it's compounding the difficulty they're facing coming in and out of these series. Um, I think the Marvels will be fine. I really don't expect much follow-up from Secret Invasion in that. Not as if we'll see Sonya or Gaia in that. Zero expectation of that. Um, As we talked this week on the Loki podcast, I think that looks like the lift we're all hoping for. Um, And the Jonathan Majors stuff unresolved to this point. We'll have a better glimpse of that. But yeah, Echo is by its different nature for the first time all at once. You know, we're back to the Netflix Daredevil, you know, Defenders era. Here it is. And then they did it the one time with Runaways. Um, Yeah, it's curious by that choice alone. So just have to see. Last tweet comes from Neil Jacoby, uh, at Neil R. Jacoby. Sadly disappointed, had high hopes. Not all can be Loki or WandaVision. I've accepted that. Hope for some wild correction in the future. Stay fantastic. To the email inbox we go. Pete, we hear from uh, Lauren, who says, like you and many others, I was disappointed in the show for multiple reasons, which I've been trying to pin down. One, how does the show contribute to setting up future things in the Marvel Universe or fleshing out existing storylines? Compared to other shows like WandaVision, Ms. Marvel, and Loki, all of which were just fun in and of themselves, but also opened up big multiverse doors to future story exploration, this show doesn't do either of those on the same level. It felt like filler and not very satisfying filler either. To me, Secret Invasion suffered from the same problem as The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There were way too many storyline threads going on, and as a result, all of them suffered from underdevelopment and what felt like, at times, inconsistent slash sloppy writing. You had the various relationships between Fury and Priscilla, Fury and Talos, Fury and Gravik, Fury and Rhodey, Talos and Gaia, Gaia and Gravik. The continuation of the storyline from Ms. Marvel of trying to find the Skrulls a home, I believe she means uh, Captain Marvel, uh, the infiltration of the scrolls with Gravik as a leader, the subsequent world takeover with other major world power slash leaders, which didn't seem to go anywhere past the crazy roundtable discussion, and finally the, the development of a super scroll serum. It's too much to do justice in six episodes, and the fact that they killed Maria Hill off the way they did still really ticks me off. I agree with the comment from another listener that she deserved better. I'll pause her words for a moment, Pete. Looking at that list of all those story points, like I was not consciously aware of all those story points being part of the stew for six episodes. My goodness, she's right. Like that's a very busy story for a story that I feels kind of bland looking back. And it's funny. She doesn't come off at rat as rabbit at all. <laughs> no, she comes off as it's reasonable, <laughs> reasonable and cogent and thoughtful. Yeah. Uh, continuing with Lauren here. Number two, how does this show develop existing or new characters? Hands down. The best thing about this show were the fresh insights into Fury's life slash character. 
Olivia Coleman's deliciously sarcastic performance as Sonia was a close second as she was a delight to watch whenever she was on screen. Give us more Coleman. And Vara Priscilla's character was a strong addition too. That also provided more dimension to Fury. However, most of the other character development in this series was minimal at best. Despite Kingsley Benadire's phenomenal skills as an actor, I never felt like Gravik's character got beyond a mustache-twirling villain. This is a writing issue, not an acting one. I thought there would be more delving into the history between Gravik and Fury via flashbacks, which would have helped to create a stronger connection there and given more punch to that last scene. Similarly, the drama between Gaia and Talos, which had a lot of story potential, also fell flat. Then the surprisingly quick death of Gravik after the over-the-top super fight with Gaia was so anticlimactic, I was left feeling, that's it? This is pretty much my reaction to the whole series. Well, hopefully this is just a blip, ha ha ha, in a generally successful string of Marvel shows. Looking forward to the Marvels in November and more of your excellent podcasts. That from Lauren. Oh, well, thank you on the compliment there. Um, it almost feels, Matt, as if this show was produced during a strike with the inability to make your talented actors um, collaborators in terms of the vision instead of I've written you die and you die and you don't get a scene as you die. We just shoot you and that's the end of it. And that's a wrap for, you know, 11 year uh, veteran Kobe Smulders. Thank you for being part of the MCU. Um, she mentions Kingsley Benadire. I would, I would echo as well. He has fun. I'll use her words, phenomenal skills as an actor. I totally agree. I remember reading six, seven weeks ago as the series started an interview with him. Uh, I think it was with the Hollywood reporter and it was noted that uh, he did not have to audition that this was direct offer. Now direct offer is the biggest kind of um, tip of the hat that an actor can get in Hollywood. Like you don't need to, you don't need to, to, to audition. Uh, and that's great for Kingsley Benadire. However, let me just, let me sit in the producer seat for a second. Isn't it nice to know if your actor is a good fit for your thing? And don't get me wrong. I, I'm sure for actors of any age and for actors of any skill level to be told, well, we want you to audition, you know, for some actor, I'm sure that's ner nerve wracking in general. You go in front of a bunch of people who can say, no, we don't like you. I mean, nobody wants that. Um, let alone somebody who has a, a, a resume or a look and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But Kingsley Benadire, phenomenal actor. Was his part great? Not really. Uh, and, and, and could you have figured that out when he was reading the lines in an audition? Possibly. And again, I'm not saying it's a Kingsley Benadire problem. Just, again, odd choices, right? Yeah. Next email here comes from Jack, who says, I just heard your podcast on the series finale of Secret Invasion, and I was a bit surprised that so many of your listeners share my sentiments that this was a really bad series. When Loki killed Coulson in The Avengers, that was an emotional trauma our heroes needed to come uh, together as a team. Nothing close to that came from Maria Hill's death. Pete, you mentioned that she will show up in the Marvels, but I don't see Colby Smulders listed with acting credits for the Marvels. I know IMDb is not always accurate, and I really do hope they bring her back through the multiverse. On a separate note, the director and executive producer, Ali Salim, did an interview with Variety, no, not the Hollywood Reporter one we quoted, and gave a confusing answer where he didn't know if it was his job to fulfill fan expectations for the show. Makes me wonder if his heart was really in it or if this was just another job for him. 
I'm also a bit confused. The showrunner for Secret Invasion is Kyle Bradstreet, but I can't find any interviews he has done to promote the show. Isn't the showrunner the person that normally talks to the press to help promote the show? Uh, Pete, let's pause his words there for a second. Um, that's a, I, I would say oftentimes that's the showrunner, perhaps not always, but I'm thinking of other shows that we've, like, uh, Jack Schaefer, isn't that her name, who who was mm. the showrunner for WandaVision? That comes to mind. I'm thinking Maybe how... Head writer in uh, Marvel. Yes, yeah, yeah. Head, head writer in Marvel, showrunner everywhere else. I'm thinking how, uh, for this latest episode of Strange New Worlds, co-showrunners Henry Alonso Myers and Akiva Goldsman have both been been out there again whether whether it's pre-strike or blah 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 blah. we'll we'll, we'll remove the strike filter from it you know uh, as well um jack is absolutely right like we're that odd choices right here we are again pete uh back to jack's words here one final bit now that i uh had a week to understand the ending of secret invasion i think i understand the scene where gaia and sonia finds a bunch of uh, more people on the pods. My theory is they are trying to set up the next season and explain that Gravik didn't come up with the idea to have scrolls impersonate various people in positions of power. He might have been working for someone else, and that is the conspiracy we are to find out in season two. This could have been an end credit scene probably would have helped the series a little bit. That's all I have. Looking forward to your podcast on Ahsoka in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Jack, for the extra Thank you. shout yep. out there. Stay fantastic. That's from Jack in NYC. This show does not seem to be getting a second season. You know, the precedent for that is they tell you right when it ends, hey, Loki season two, Loki will return. So I think the second season of this show is going to be in movies. Yeah, sometime, maybe not this time since it just popped in my head. Maybe we have a podcast conversation about how these different arms of Disney have used Disney plus I'm thinking of, I think of what you just said, Pete, how not everything is necessarily feeding the next show. It's feeding back to the movies. We kind of look back and go, Oh wait, many of these shows are doing that. I'm thinking of how Pixar was really reluctant to be making things for Disney plus because they make animated films. That's what Pixar does. And maybe some shorts to develop talent shorts that are put in front of movies at the movies. Um, I don't know. A, a bit of a tangent there, but but uh, perhaps there's some some commonality between the two wings. Pete, the final email here from Steve, who says as follows. This series started off well, building intrigue and tension in the first half. Unfortunately, it landed with a bit of a thud. While I wouldn't say it was the worst thing Marvel has done, it is apparent that this show fell flat for many viewers. I think the biggest reason is just the nature of this story itself. In the comics, this story was company-wide, involving almost every hero at some point. This adaptation had no heroes other than Fury. The scope of the story was too large for it to be believably contained by the efforts of only one of the MCU's tentpole heroes. At some point, somebody else should have shown up to help. I still think this series would have been a perfect place to debut Hulkling, especially given the line about the Kree wanting to negotiate peace. The day after I sent my feedback for the finale, I had the same thought you guys did about this show doing more for the Thunderbolts than the Marvels. I see Val playing on the president's fearful reaction to the scrolls, offering her team as the government-sanctioned response to the alien threat, giving that movie a bit of a Dark Avengers vibe. 
that was a great comic and i think it will influence thunderbolts to an extent even though this wasn't the best thing marvel has done i'm still looking forward to the next installment i plan to watch guardians 3 uh this weekend and really intrigued by that loki trailer that looks looks like it could be a load of fun until next time stay fantastic pete i love that steve adams there has given us a little bit of a kind of like an optimistic uplift there at the end yeah and guardians of the galaxy volume three is a great palate cleanser even though it came first uh despite the fact the portions of it are literally the saddest thing that marvel has ever done and that's not a criticism that's in fact praise uh and pete praise for those who have been with us not just for this secret invasion journey but over there on patreon.com slash fantastic geek making sure week in and week out the bits and blops get online and the storage and the bandwidth are all working everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content all sorts of levels to choose from but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door can't contribute right now get yourself over to apple Podcasts. leave us a rating leave us a review all of which helps us and pete let's keep the conversation going how can people be in touch with you on social media you can find me on twitter you can find me on threads at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,696 followers on Twitter and following. And Pete, while I'm personally on Twitter, is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and threads where we are a fantastic geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today tomorrow a star trek discussion the likes of which we've never had before looking forward to that uh later in the month our ahsoka final preview before that podcast launches uh towards the end of the month with ahsoka's series debut on uh august 23rd with that though pete I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final, final secret invasion word. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.